The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge. Today, we're discussing the future of Saskatchewan Rough Riders quarterback, Cody Fajardo. The CFL operations cap returning to pre-pandemic levels. A number of young quarterbacks starting this week in meaningless regular season games in terms of the standings. The Western Mustangs having another perfect regular season. And the lack of an announcement surrounding the Grey Cup halftime show. But first... Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke has returned, or has been cleared by doctors to return to the field after recovering from a sprained Lisfranc Frank injury. He'll start against the Bombers in the Lions' regular season finale and play one quarter to prepare for the playoffs, according to head coach Rick Campbell. Does it feel like he's being rushed back into action, or can the decision makers be trusted with the Grey Cup on the line? It seems like a little bit of both, to be quite honest. Rourke himself admitted that he's not going to be quite 100% when he takes the field at IG Field in Winnipeg College. I know you're jacked up to see him a little bit in person. And I do think that we have to realize, with well, the Grey Cup potentially on the line and what it could mean for that franchise in BC and potentially breathe some new energy there along with what Amar Doman has done from an ownership perspective could be a big boost. So I think that's a large part of the reason why he's back on the field getting ready for the playoffs and also could potentially show that he can get back, heal quickly, and still play at a high level. But there's the other side of it. you got to be careful if you're Rourke in his camp that you're not pushing too hard and this doesn't hurt you in the future, in the immediate future, in terms of the potential NFL prospects after this season. So I think there are multiple factors here, but if the doctors have cleared him, even though it's quickly and ahead of the timeline of a usual Liz Frank injury – then we have to trust them. we got to realize Rourke really isn't a normal human being. So the fact that he's back quicker is not necessarily a surprise. And it does look like he seems fairly comfortable in the practice field. But when it's actually live football, then I think that will be a different story. So we'll have to see how he plays. Here's the bottom line, Dunkster. We don't know. We do not know if this is too early for Nathan Rourke to be coming back. Yes, he's been cleared by doctors, but he also admitted that he is somewhat limited at the moment. He is not doing any quarterback runs in practice, and I would expect that the Lions are going to be keeping him in the pocket uh, two days from now on Friday when the Winnipeg Blue Bombers host the BC Lions. 
Uh, we talked about this on the show last week. The last thing that we need from Nathan Rourke is a second Robert Griffin III situation where a player returns from injury too soon. But we don't know, right? He talked to the media. He said he's been working out in the pool for the last long time, trying to keep enough weight off of the foot while still returning to his original level of fitness, right? Staying in shape, getting his wind, as a lot of players say. But we'll have to wait and see. Yes, I am super excited to see what he can do at IG. But the last thing that the CFL needs, what Nathan Rourke needs, is for him to come back and be a shadow of his former self because he's he's come back too soon. Is that the case? Again, we don't know. The proof, as they say, will be in the pudding. Or potentially make the injury worse, as you alluded to. I think that's a great comparison with Robert Griffin III. We definitely don't want to see that with Nathan Rourke. And it's one thing to be in the pool and rehabbing and be on the practice field when you know you're not going to get hit. But it's completely different when you're between those white lines and you have guys like Willie Jefferson or Sean Lemon in the West semifinal bearing down on you and you're going to take a shot or two or heaven forbid one of those big cleats ends up on that foot and we'll really see if he's in pain or not after that. So this, we all hope, Behind the scenes is a prudent decision, one that has been gone over and is calculated in terms of assessing the risks. And we're not doctors here, but perhaps the doctors have said, you know, it's healed as much as it can heal and it's a pain tolerance issue. And if you can deal with that, then you can be out there. So we have to at least trust what Campbell is saying in this instance. And I think for the most part, he has been trustworthy as a head coach during his time in the league and forthcoming with these types of things and information and the process in this instance to get Rourke back on the field. So that's really where we need to put our trust here. And if you're the CFL, the ideal scenario is having Rourke come back look sharp in the final week of the regular season and then make a magical run to the great cup because we see it on the site. We see it on the podcast. TSN has seen it in their television ratings when Rourke was healthy, that he is a major boost and a lifter for this league in terms of drawing an audience because of that Canadian quarterback designation. And even aside from that, just from the way that he played, he was putting up historic level numbers and he was on pace to break a bunch of them. And I know JC Abbott who's not with us today, but wants to anoint him the CFL MOP Hodger on the other side of that debate. And I'm with you in the sense that if he would have played a full season, then yeah, he's the shoe in for MOP, but part of it is staying healthy and on the field. But regardless of that, the excitement that he created around the BC Lions game cannot be understated when he was on the field they were a fun team to watch that was the old school type feel of cfl offenses throwing it around the park piling up a lot of points so it could be a boost for the cfl for tsn for the league overall and especially the bc lions if he comes back and especially if he's healthy and playing at a high level for the record, I would still be happy for Rourke to win MLP at the league level. He's just got to throw for about 10 touchdown passes on Friday. So we'll have to wait and see whether or not he's able to do that in a quarter of work. Because that's what Rick Campbell says he's going to get. He's going to get a quarter of work. In all fairness, and JC's not here to defend himself, he's likely going to end up as the second-ranked quarterback in terms of touchdown passes. And he's going to be pretty high in terms of passing yards overall. But 
MOP, you know, as much as I love my Canadian quarterbacks, I just can't see it. I love JC's fire in these discussions, but it makes sense that it goes to Zach Kolaris. Playoff matchups across the league are officially locked in as Winnipeg, BC, and Calgary will compete in the West Division, while Toronto, Montreal, and Hamilton will be battling it out in the East. Which teams are the most dangerous heading into the postseason, Hodge? To me, there are two teams that stand out, and this is no disrespect to the other squads who have qualified for postseason action, of course. Uh, you know, all, all six, once you get into the dance, right, it's possible for anybody at the end of the day to take it home. But to me, there are two teams that stand, stand out. One is the BC Lions for the reasons that we've just outlined, right? We're talking about Nathan Rourke potentially completely changing the complexion of the CFL postseason. It's worth noting that BC will be at home for that first game, the West semifinal. To me, if I'm the Calgary Stampeders, I would have much rather played Nathan Rourke in the friendly confines of McMahon Stadium where the weather's probably going to be cold and somewhat miserable, uh, I don't want to go into the Dome. Yes, it's going to be pleasant to play in a Dome, nice and warm. Who doesn't love going to Vancouver any time of the year? But to me, if it's a, ba- if it's a matter of on-field product, I do not want to play against Nathan Work in the Dome. I want to play him on the Arctic Tundra when slinging the ball is tough and you've got that great run game led by Kadeem Carey and a very good Stamps offensive line. Uh, so to me, the BC Lions stand out in the West Division. In the East, I'm going with the three seed, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And the reason is they have simply gotten hot at the wrong time. This is a team that six weeks ago had no answers uh, for playing as poorly as they were playing. They were turning the ball over left, right, and center. Dane Evans was struggling. They needed an identity. They needed somebody to step up. Tim White has stepped up on the offensive side of the ball. They are finally running the ball effectively. The offensive line is firing off their sets. And on the defensive side of the ball, they are playing with a more physical edge than I've seen this team play with in quite some time. They got Simone Lawrence back at the right time. I'm not saying that the Cats are shooing to go to the Grey Cup. And frankly, I am sick and tired of watching Winnipeg and Hamilton play in the Grey Cup. I'm hoping for two fresh teams this year, if anything. However, that said, I think the Ticats are situated very well going into the postseason because they are the hottest team in that division right now, and there is no question about that. I can see where you're coming from with those two teams, Hodge, and really when we're looking at dangerous teams, we're talking about teams that are not favored to get there. So right now that would be Winnipeg from the West and, of course, Toronto from the East because they were the division winners. And as much as I love my Canadian quarterbacks and Nathan Rourke and we already talked about him so much on the podcast. I think the Stampeders are built for success in the postseason. They played Winnipeg very closely all three times that they were on the same field together during the regular season, be it with Bo Levi Mitchell or Jake Mayer at quarterback. Kadeem Carey is, for my money, the best running back in the league this season, has gone over a thousand yards. And they have another guy there in Dedrick Mills who can run the rock just as effectively in a little bit of a different way. For the Stampeders and Mayor has shown that he can complete a high percentage of passes in this short to intermediate passing game that the Stamps have. And that defense has been stout, led by Sean Lemon off the edge, Cam Judge in the middle. It looks like Titus Wall is getting healthy in the secondary. Could get some reinforcements back. We'll see how that goes for the postseason matchup when they travel to BC. So I think the Stamps are the most dangerous team in the West in terms of pulling an upset and getting to the Grey Cup. And you know, I can't believe I'm even going to say this. I do think the Ticats are positioned well, but 
the Alouettes, when they're playing consistent football, can be a team to be reckoned with. Trevor Harris has gotten a team to a Grey Cup before all on his own. Dane Evans has yet to do that. Yes, he played a major role alongside Jeremiah Masoli to get the Tiger Cats to two straight Grey Cups, or help them, I should say, but he wasn't the guy. Harris has been the guy and done it before. He knows how to perform at a high level in the playoffs, and they have Eugene Lewis, who, for my money, is the best playmaker right now in the East Division, as much as Tim White has really come on late in the season. And that Elwood's defense, I think, is somewhat underrated, so I could see Montreal being dangerous, but... Anybody could come out of the East Division, to be quite honest, and it wouldn't surprise me. I think it's been so close, and also the teams have been so inconsistent that I don't necessarily think any of these teams would be categorized as dangerous for this question. I think the dangerous teams more so reside in the West Division. I I fully agree with the first part of what you said there, Doug, at the end there. I, I think that any team can come out of the East. I do, however, see the Ticats as a genuinely dangerous team because as much as Dane Evans has lacked consistency, the same exact thing can be said about McLeod Bethel-Thompson and about Trevor Harris, who are ahead of him in the West Division or the East Division. Heading out West, I agree. Calgary's built for the playoffs, man, but they are playing in a dome. That is the worst place for them to be playing. Jake Mayer has never started a postseason game. I am a Stampeder skeptic heading into the postseason because of the return of Nathan Rourke and because of the weather that will not be a factor, right? If this was, if this was Vernon Adams Jr. leading the BC Lions into McMahon Stadium, I would be punching my ticket right now. Calgary Winnipeg West final. Nathan Rourke in the dome changes everything in my opinion. If Rourke looks sharp in this little dress rehearsal, we'll call it, in the final regular season game against Winnipeg, then I can absolutely see what you're talking about. It's going to be a fast track there at BC Place. Lucky Whitehead looks like he's going to be back for that game. Brian Burnham could be there. And Dominic Rimes, who's really, I think, gone under the radar because so much talk has been focused on Whitehead and Burnham, even though they've been nicked up in in and out of the lineup, that Rimes has had a spectacular season and is in the race to be the league's leading receiver. I think that's going to be largely dependent on how many reps or plays that each of these guys get that are at the top Dalton Schoen is there as well along with Eugene Lewis so I think it's an ideal situation set up for BC but I need to see how Rourke plays first in this about a quarter that he's going to get in Winnipeg I don't think it's going to tell us everything but it will show us if he's ready for the playoffs because Nathan Rourke is a guy you mentioned it about Jake Mayer but Rourke has not started a playoff game himself do I think that Rourke is a better quarterback overall, especially this season when healthy than Mayer? Yes, that would be the case. But even though it's not an ideal scenario for Calgary, I just think they're built to win in the playoffs with two backs. That offensive line has been playing really well. I think that West semifinal is going to be a gooder. In Winnipeg, the Blue Bombers better be ready for whoever comes out of there to IG Field. You want to talk about underrated receivers. Let's talk about Keon Hatcher. 984 yards this season, eighth league-wide. Nobody talks about Mr. Hatcher ever, which is wild. He's got a lot more yardage than a lot of star players in the CFL, even guys who have played more than him this year. TSN reported that the CFL is increasing its operations cap back to pre-pandemic levels. Is that a good thing, or does the operations cap need to be scrapped altogether? 
My answer would be both. It's a good thing for the league that they're infusing <laughs> money in there, but this thing needs to be gone. It's holding back development of players, and I think it's part of the reason why we haven't seen the high quality of CFL football of late because it not only limits the amount that you can spend, but also the number of people that you can have in the building coming up with game plans and helping coach the players and just overall developing these athletes, especially the Americans that come up from the United States. So I think that the league needs to look at potentially getting rid of this. I understand it does make teams more financially prudent, but teams could do that themselves. If they want to make a decision and get rid of the general manager and the head coach or the offense coordinator or the defense coordinator or whoever else, then that's on them in my mind. Chris Jones talked about how difficult it was for him to come in in Edmonton because Brock Sunderland and Jamie Elizondo had been fired and there wasn't much money left to bring in coaches. So that hampers the new regime that you bring in. So if you're Victor Kui sitting there and you're trying to evaluate the first season with Jones at the helm, it's not necessarily all his doing because he doesn't have those cap dollars to work with. Whereas, especially for the cash flush teams like Saskatchewan or Winnipeg, now some people will argue that's part of the reason the football operations cap was brought in. But if you have the money and you want to turn your regime over and make sure they can start a new a la Jones in Edmonton. And I only think it's fair. The teams can be as financially prudent as they want. I never understood why this cap had to be there to enforce that because each team can do it on their own. They're well within their right to do whatever they want to do with their money. Yeah. And, and look, I, I like the equity that this brings because I don't think it's in the best interest of the CFL to become, you know, like major league baseball, where it's the same, you know, couple of teams that are wealthy that that sign everybody hire everybody all those things but to me that if you're going to have an operations cap it needs to be way higher yeah okay great you return to pre-pandemic levels well first of all it's too low before the pandemic and secondly everything in the world has seemingly gotten twice as expensive since before the pandemic started uh due to rapid inflation so okay so we're going to go back to paying people what they paid three years ago well you weren't paying them enough three years ago and and those wages are just even more substandard today this is about attracting coaching talent this is about having enough people that the, the work can actually get done people aren't having to do the work of three people which inevitably leads to things falling through the cracks um th this operations cap uh i i think is good in theory again i think it's important to equalize spending but you highlighted how it's hurt teams like Edmondson who made bad hires. And you can say, well, if you don't want to have to pay out these guys, then don't make bad hires. Well, fair enough. But I'm sorry. Have you seen Commonwealth Stadium recently? <laughs> Last I checked, the fans at Edmonton aren't willing to, to pay the debt of a bad hire from two, three years ago that has sunk this team. They need that stadium to be full. They need that, 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 those coffers to be flush. It's a community-owned team. They need a full building. And on the one hand, yes, you want to make good hires. On the other hand, I don't think it's in the best interest of this league to be penalizing teams, you know, one, two, three, four years later down the road after a bad hire is made. To me, this operations cap um, needs to be, again, substantially higher. And uh, maybe, it, maybe, maybe it shouldn't count, right, for teams that are paying out people they've already fired. Pay them out, but don't have it count against the cap. That would, at the very least, 
uh, prevent teams from, you know, doubling or tripling what other teams are spending. But at the same time, it would also, right, allow teams to move on from bad hires and allow teams to not find themselves in a situation like Edmonton is in. Or, or even let's look at Saskatchewan, right? Jeremy O'Day, Jason Moss, Craig Dickinson, Jason Shivers all have a contract for 2023. If they want to pull an Edmonton, let's say, and clean house, I'm not saying they will or won't, but that all of a sudden could potentially hamper them. And they're a team that could afford to pay out those deals and, and not blink because we all know the riders are always flush with that green, green money. So to me, I don't like this cap. I've never liked it. Great that it's returning to pre-pandemic levels, but that is the first of many steps needed to get this right. Even in your Major League Baseball example, if the Rough Riders are going to be compared to the New York Yankees, let's say, because they have so much money, it's not like the Rough Riders are out here winning back-to-back Grey Cups or have a big string of them. They have four in their entire history. So I think that goes to show you that even if you have money to spend, you still need to be prudent with it. The Yankees, oh, by the way, just got swept out of the playoffs by the Houston Astros. Now, you can feel whatever way you want about the Astros and how they cheated in the past, but you can't necessarily go and buy a title is the point that I'm trying to make. And you could look at Winnipeg as the example. Mike O'Shea is in a contract year, and it does not seem to be an issue there from a performance standpoint or with O'Shea himself. Now, part of that has to be because O'Shea wants to have options and create as much leverage in contract negotiations as possible. But also, from the team perspective, you are protecting yourself from not having to pay O'Shea, potentially. They're not going to get rid of him, obviously. But let's say in the event of an Edmonton situation where you get rid of Sunderland and Elizondo and you still got to pay those guys for not being there. So teams could be more prudent in terms of the contracts they hand out. Potentially it could become a more regular thing where you sign coaches and general managers to one or two year deals, not three or four year deals. If you want to be more prudent as a team. So that's why I go back to what I said earlier. It's on the teams to police this themselves. And I think ultimately when you cut spending in this way, What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Then it hurts the product on the field overall. We've heard a bunch of coaches GMs and scouts talk about it on or off the record that the football ops cap has to go and it needs to be on a team by team basis. Because as you said, a situation like Edmonton, two guys that have nothing to do with the 2022 Edmonton Elks are gone on the sidelines, making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, that's impacting the actual team that Chris Jones was trying to put on the field. One thing I will say about your Riders-Yankees comparison is the, the Yankees have always been rich. For the Riders, that's still a relatively new phenomenon historically. But I, I get where you're coming from. 
Yeah, something like it for now, anyways. There's no telethons for the Yankees, certainly back in the mid-90s. Cody Fajardo was openly questioned his future after losing the starting job with those Saskatchewan Rough Riders, saying he's hopeful that another team will want him under center in 2023. The 30-year-old didn't entirely rule out the possibility of returning to Regina, though he made it clear that he intends to test free agency. Where can you envision Fajardo playing next season? Well, to me, I, I think the most important thing for Cody Fajardo, obviously, is to go to the best fit for him on the field, but also off the field. This is a guy who talked for a long time about wanting to be, you know, a, 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 an important face and an important voice in that community. He spends a lot of time on social media, um, and he, I, I think it, it would be fair to say that he has been at times a little bit oversensitive about what has appeared on social media. To me, this is a guy who he started his career in Toronto, went to BC where he was a backup in both places. Those are two good markets for a guy like Cody Fajardo because you are not getting stopped in Toronto at your local grocery store if you throw a pick on Friday night that costs your team a win. Nobody there knows who the heck you are. The same is true for a few markets in the CFL. Obviously, that's not the case in Regina, where if you throw a pick six on Friday, you probably can't even get gas the next week. I know I certainly wouldn't want to. Um, so I, I think when you look at the landscape, I mean, you've said that Bolivar Mitchell is likely headed to Saskatchewan. That leaves a backup job in Calgary, potentially. Calgary has been known to pick up guys from the scrap heap and help them you know, redefine their careers. Maybe there's a spot for him there as a, a savvy vet who can do some good things with his legs as a short yardage guy, be an excellent relief quarterback. To me, I think the other obvious spot is Ottawa, where Nick Arbuckle has not grabbed that job by the horns and made it his own. Caleb Evans, I don't think, has proven that he is worth building a team around moving forwards. The, the free agent market for quarterbacks is not going to be deep. We know that there's, there's nobody set to hit free agency other than Bo and Cody from the West Division, right? Drew Brown, Taylor Cornelius, Jake Mayer, Vernon Adams Jr., Nathan Rourke. These guys are all under contract. Out East, I don't anticipate big changes. Uh, obviously, it depends on the coaching staff that's there. But if you want to look at a backup role with a great team like Calgary or potentially as a starter at Ottawa, I think those are the two best options for Mr. Fajardo moving forward. The best one that you laid out there, Hodge, for Fajardo in his career moving forward could be the Calgary Stampeders. Now, it's a little bit difficult to see because they have Jake Mayer, who, because of that contract that he signed, looks entrenched as the number one guy there for the foreseeable future. And then they have Tommy Stevens, who's done a spectacular job. I think, for my money, he's the best short yardage quarterback in the league behind Mayer developing. So Calgary looks set at that spot. Could they use a veteran and a guy like Fajardo? Yes. And I actually think he should probably take less money to go there just to spend a year with Dave Dickinson and be around John Hoffnagel and see if that could help the development of his game. The one team that you didn't mention that I could see as a possibility would be the BC Lions. If hypothetically in this scenario, Nathan Rourke signs an NFL contract, Vernon Adams Jr. We've talked about it on the podcast and had the details on three downnation.com is due to make in around $150,000 in hard money next year with the Lions. He's currently under contract, but outside of that, they don't have another veteran currently signed on the roster. So Fajardo could make some sense, has you know somewhat of a similar playing style, not exactly the same as Adams Jr. And you could have those two veteran quarterbacks if Rourke 
goes to the NFL. I don't think he's going to end up in Edmonton based on the comments of Chris Jones in the media multiple times about Fajardo not being a top-level passer in the CFL. Ottawa is certainly intriguing, but there are some indications that Jeremiah Masoli has been working hard, and he's so tight with Sean Burke that you would imagine Burke's going to want to give Masoli every opportunity he can if he's cleared by the doctors and is healthy and ready to go to be the number one guy there in Ottawa, especially with the way he looked to start the season there before that cheap shot from Garrett Marino. So there's a few teams that make sense potentially for Fajardo, but you wonder if a scenario like this could play out. Let's see Bo Levi Mitchell does indeed go to Saskatchewan, becomes the number one guy. Mason Fine only has one career start and We'd have to double check, but I'm pretty sure he's under contract for 2023 with Saskatchewan. So could Jardo go back there as the backup to Bo Levi? I mean, we've got to look at all these scenarios because you never know how things are going to play out. I do think, though, what you said, Hodge, about Fajardo going to a different market and one that's not so football crazed could be good for his career. And Calgary and BC, to me, would fit the bill for a few of those reasons. Yeah, Mason Fine is under contract with the Riders for 2023. And we should be very clear, Cody Fajardo has not ruled out the possibility of returning. As we stated at the top of the segment, he could go back to Regina. I just don't think that's a good fit for him. And frankly, I don't think it's a good fit for the team at this point. I think it's time for the team to cut ties and and get off to a fresh start. And as for Jeremiah Masoli, absolutely no uh, uh, disrespect his way, but he's going to be, I think it's 35 next season. He's coming off a terrible leg injury. If you're the Red Blacks after two miserable back-to-back seasons, you can't enter the season with all your eggs in that basket. And as much as, yes, Masoli is making a lot of money, if you can get Fajardo to sign uh, a deal that is incentive-laden, right, that is heavily based on playtime, then just like Vernon Adams Jr. in BC, potentially being the number two to Nathan Rourke in 2023, you can have that veteran backup behind a young quarterback. So we'll see. But I, I think those are uh, some good fits for Cody Fajardo. He did also tell the media in Regina he really wants to keep playing football. So, hey, I'm glad for him. Best of luck to him in his next spot. It's a shame it didn't work out better in Regina. Definitely. But I can't wait to potentially see Bo Levi Mitchell in Riders <laughs> green and white. Oh, my goodness. Anyways, the Grey Cup is officially less than a month away, and the league has yet to announce who is playing the halftime show. Should fans be alarmed that we still don't know which act will be featured? Well, Joe Gasson wrote an opinion column for us on this uh, earlier this week. It, it drew a lot of feedback, some positive, some negative. I wanted to address this because I see this every year from older folks who love the CFL and have followed it their whole lives who are questioning why the halftime show even matters or, or they'll question why the halftime show is this young group that they don't even know about. It's like, well, why not just get Loverboy or why not get, you know, uh, the tragically hip RIP Gordowney uh, or why not get a group that, you know, the, the CFL's target or, or the, the CFL's main audience, target audience, whatever you want to call it, uh, already loves and already knows. And the answer is the halftime show is not for you, right? If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're a diehard CFL fan. Well, the halftime show is not for you. The halftime show is for people who are under the age of 30 and even better, under the age of 20, who are not going to watch the, the Grey Cup unless they have a reason to. And a good reason to would be an exciting young act 
like a, a, a Drake, Ariana Grande, right? Artists that young people, uh, Billie Eilish, uh, love and are super popular. Now, those groups are probably out of the budget for the CFL, but they have done a good job in years past of bringing in very popular, successful groups, some of which are American, some of which are Canadian. And that is, in my opinion, the most important thing they can do to bring in young people. Because if you're a young person who doesn't care about the CFL right now, watching you know Zach Kolaris against McLeod Bethel-Thompson in the Grey Cup means nothing to you. What does mean something to you is having a great halftime show that you can tune in, join mom and dad on the couch for. And then when the halftime show is done, maybe they stick around. They watch the second half and they go, oh, this is actually isn't so bad. And the CFL gains a fan moving forward to, who might watch games next year or, or even want to go to a game, right? This is, a, this is a promotional tool for the CFL. And I have no idea why less than a month out we still don't have a halftime show announced. This is a problem in my opinion. Well, potentially the league is letting some of the chatter build on this, and that's the only reasonable outcome I can get from not announcing it yet is there's been a lot of talk about it. We both do radio shows in Regina Hodge, and the station that I've been on, particularly on CGME, has been talking about a bunch. A lot of people really want to know, but the reality is it's not going to be announced until the CFL wants to announce it. And from what I've been told, it sounds like, there is an act in place. And I totally agree with you in terms of how the CFL should view booking this halftime show performance. It needs to be somebody that's going to hit that younger demographic that brings them in, whether or not the tried, true, and hardcore fans of the CFL like it or not. That needs to be the halftime show because you're trying to draw in this younger demographic for the league as a whole, and it needs to be somebody that's trending. It doesn't need to be an oldie but a goodie and all the kinds of people that you listed off. It needs to be somebody that's hip and brash and is in the media a lot right now. So I understand people's frustration and Mr. Gasson writing about it, and they want to know what the halftime act is, but in reality, the game is already sold out. There's going to be millions of people watching the Grey Cup on TSN as it is. So I'm okay with the CFL letting the intrigue build a little bit. I will say the halftime show is notoriously terrible in person. To me, the halftime show is not meant to sell tickets, right? CFL fans will buy the tickets and go to the game, especially at a venue like Regina, where, where you're only seating about 35,000 people, right? Commonwealth Stadium might be a little different. You've got you know 65,000 seats there or however many they've got in that gigantic, cavernous, concave, whatever you want to call it there that they have that, you know, is sadly outdated, but will probably never get replaced because it's it's so massive. They'll just keep they'll keep slapping new new coats of lipstick over top combat Commonwealth Stadium long after you and I are both off of this earth, Mr. Doug. Uh but that being said, they need to get this announced. And by the way, great if they've they've picked an act. But if you've hit it out of the park and you have a truly outstanding act, why not? Why not get out in front of this and paste it all over social media? To me, that does not make sense. Social media is where you're going to find that target audience for the halftime show. And you're going to get them amped, get them excited, get them ready to go. To me, this needs to be done ASAP. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2006, Hugh Campbell retired from his position as the CEO of the Edmonton Football Club. 
the native of Cerigata, California, was a two-time CFL All-Star over a six-year career as a receiver with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. In 1977, he became the head coach in Edmonton and went 70-21-5 and over six seasons with the team, winning five consecutive Grey Cups. Campbell returned to the team as the general manager in 1986 following a three-year stint in the NFL and won two more titles before transitioning to the role of president and CEO. He won two more Grey Cups prior to his retirement and was inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame midway through his tenure in 2000. Campbell, now 81, is the father of BC Lions head coach and co-general manager Rick Campbell. Dunk, I would love to know what stands out the most to you when you hear the name Hugh Campbell. It's just greatness, to be quite honest. You look at what he did with Edmonton and you mentioned the stint in the NFL as well. And I think that's what is synonymous with the last name Campbell and especially Hugh ushered in that era of absolute dominance for the Edmonton football team over that time. A lot of great names ran through that organization and Warren Moon used it as a launching pad for NFL success to sort of help break down the color barrier at the quarterback position. But when I think of Hugh Campbell, I think of greatness. Let's get to it. The three-minute drill. BC Lions defensive back Luches Purifoy showed up for the team's flight to Edmonton dressed as Pennywise, the dancing clown from Stephen King's It. Did you like the costume? I love the costume. I read It when I was a teenager. Phenomenal book. Love the movies. And love that this has become Luches Purifoy's alter ego. The Edmonton Elks finished the season winless at home with their losing streak at Commonwealth Stadium extending to 17 games. Is there any excuse for that? No, there's absolutely not. I don't care how poor Jamie Elizondo's staff was in 2021 or the trying times of the football operations cap that Chris Jones outlined this season. There is absolutely zero excuses. Get a win in 2023 and you better make it early, Elks, all right? Greg Ellington is set to return this week after missing the past seven games due to injury. Can he help take Winnipeg's offense to new heights? Well, I mean, the, the Bombers have had Nick Dembski. They've had Dalton Schoen absolutely step up with Ellingson out of the lineup. But you can always add some juice out of the playoffs. I think Ellingson will do that. Riders defensive back Mike Edom is doing fine after being taken to hospital following a helmet-to-helmet collision in last week's loss to Calgary. Is that good news? It definitely is. That was a scary scene to see Adam laying on the field, a veteran in this league, and it's great to hear that he should make a full recovery. The Western Mustangs finished the OUA regular season with a perfect 8-0 record. Do you see anyone beating them en route to a potential back-to-back Vanier Cup championship? I mean, they're the number one ranked team in the country, as they should be. The thing that stands out the most to me, the Mustangs undefeated in four of the last five regular seasons in the OUA. That is ridiculous. The Edmonton Elks signed emerging receiver Dylan Mitchell through 2025. Is that a prudent move for the club? It really is. This guy looks like he could be a playmaker for a long time with Edmonton. They paid him well to do so in around $150,000. That's a pretty big jump and a pay raise for Mitchell, who I think is a piece that could develop along with Taylor Cornelius to make this offensive attack that much better in Edmonton. I really like Mitchell as a young playmaker. 
A young fan showed up to practice in Winnipeg dressed as head coach Mike O'Shea. Is that the best Halloween costume in Manitoba this year? I think it is the best one this year. I'm not sure it tops the girl who came uh, uh, to a game dressed as Sarah Orleski years ago, but the Mike O'Shea costume is a 10 out of 10. The BC Lions expect Brian Burnham to be back for the West semifinal against Calgary. Is that a big deal? It's a massive deal. You add him back into the mix with Lucky Whitehead, Dominique Rimes, Keon Hatcher, Javon Katoy. Am I missing anybody else, Hutch? That's about it. That is a scary lineup coming into Halloween. It's spooky if you consider <laughs> if Nathan Rourke can get back to that elite-level form he showed to start the season. Longtime CFL and NFL punter John Ryan told 630 Ched Radio in Edmonton that he plans to retire at the age of 40. How will you remember his career? I mean, the easy answer is the Super Bowl victory and the touchdown pass that he threw off of a fake punt. The thing I don't think people know or remember enough about John Ryan is Bob Cameron was the punter of the Winnipeg Bombers for 23 seasons, retired following the 20, 2002 season. Ryan came in as the upstart kid out of U Sports in 2004. So there was a year in between, but he still had massive shoes to fill from a Hall of Famer, and he did it so well, he went to the NFL. Incredible. Dunk, you reported that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are negotiating a contract extension with pass rusher Willie Jefferson. Do you think they'll get a deal done? I can see it happening. Zach Kolaris has signed his extension there, and that would seem to signal that Michael Shea will be there as well. And Jefferson is one of the key foundational pieces of that defense, even though he's been somewhat quiet in 2023. I think Jefferson really feels at home in the Manitoba capital. The Ticats brought back 32-year-old Mike Daly after he spent the year coaching at Wilfrid Laurier University. Is that a smart move? I mean, you can never have too much veteran savvy this time of year. Hamilton has had some injuries on the back end. Why not add in a guy who's spent the last year coaching? Can't hurt Canadian-American quarterback Brett Rippon has made his second career start in the NFL with the Denver Broncos, completed 24 of 46 pass attempts for 225 yards and a pick in a 16-9 loss to the New York Jets last week. Do you think he'll start another game? It's possible that Jets defense is really coming around, especially under head coach Robert Sala, who is a defensive guru. It's young, fast, and physical, but Rippon needs to get those yards per attempt up if he wants to continue to start games for Denver. You reported, Hodge, Edmonton's potential free agent list. Which player is the most important one for them to re-sign? I don't think it's likely that Kenny Lawler is going to be back at Edmonton. The number one guy they should be trying to get back under contract, Jake Ceresna, who was an absolute monster this year in the middle of that defensive line. Last one, CFL teams have unveiled their major individual team award winners. Did anything stand out to you? There wasn't necessarily a bunch to note here or anybody that I thought was missed, but I would be curious, and JC will have to give us his take next week when he's hopefully back on the pod, to see Nathan Mork name the Lions award winner for Team MOP and Team MOC, Most Outstanding Canadian because I'm sure Mr. Abbott would have voted for both of those and wants to continue this momentum forward to the division level and potentially the league level. The trick for Rourke is going to be he's going to have to get by your boy Hodge, Zach Kolaris, if he's going to represent the West Division 
for the MLP nomination, which I don't see happening as much as I love Rourke. So I just look forward to that conversation with Mr. Abbott. We can have that conversation and we'll know by then whether or not Rourke threw for 10 touchdown passes in his regular season finale at IG Field on Friday. I'll be there to watch it. And if he does, I'll be the first to advocate for Mr. Rourke and his MOP. We thank you as always for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll see y'all next week for another episode looking ahead to the postseason. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.